Hey, everybody. I am Stephanie Goss, and this is another episode of the Uncharted Podcast. This week on the podcast, Andy and I are diving into another letter from the mailbag. We got a letter from another lonely leader. This is a manager who came up from the floor and has transitioned into the boss role, and they are feeling a little lonely at the top. They are wondering, can you continue to be friends with your coworkers after becoming promoted and becoming their boss? And more than that, how do you deal with these lonely feelings? And man, this resonates. This is something both Andy and I have experienced and struggled with at points in our career. And we're going to share some personal stories with you, along with rolling this out as we do from a headspace and plan of attack perspective. So let's get into this one, shall we? And now, the Uncharted Podcast. And we are back. It's me, Dr. Andy Rourke, and the one and only Stephanie. I'm on the outside. I'm looking in, Goss. Oh, fantastic. I always love it when you sing for us. How's it going, Andy Rourke? So, you know, some of them, I'm like, if I just say it, I'm on the outside and I'm looking in. Like, it doesn't... <laughs> It doesn't convey <laughs> the emotion. So much better when you sing. <laughs> My favorite uh, one to sing is uh oh, it's uh not Michael Bolton, but uh the guy that sounds like it's like I keep forgetting I'm not in love anymore, <laughs> and I keep forgetting things will never be the same again. Um, can and, you please go to Uncharted Karaoke? <laughs> Oh yeah, <laughs> only, only if I do. Like I will sing comedically all day long. Mm. I will not sing anything that actually has that I actually attempt to carry a tune. I can't carry a tune in a bucket, oh, but I will hundred percent do so bad fun. impersonations, <laughs> singing other songs. Michael McDonald. That's who it was. So fun. Okay. okay. People are like, when do we, when do we get this podcast? What is happening? <laughs> this is, uh, We're back. If We're you ever back. wonder what the uncharted staff meetings are like, yeah. <laughs> that's what, what they're like. All right. No, I'm just kidding. We are, we are high performing, high functioning adults. Until Jamie's like, for the love of all that is holy, can <laughs> we please exactly right. get back on topic? No, that's the real <laughs> truth of it, is we are surrounded by high-performing, high-functioning adults. And we are not. <laughs> and, we, yeah, and, we've empowered, and we've empowered them. Uh, that's exactly what it is. All right. Oh. That's it. That's, that's really the whole secret. All right, let's So let's fun. Go. So fun. Yeah. Um, this episode is going to be fun. So we have the mailbag has been on fire. First of all, I want to say thank you to all of you guys, because our listeners have been uh, just shooting off emails to the mailbag left and right, which is amazing. Um, and we have got some good stuff. We got an email from another lonely leader, which is uh, so good. And I am so excited all to right. break this one down with you today. I love a lonely leader email. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, yes. <laughs> Let's it do is, this. It is lonely at the top. Uh, so this is this is from uh, another lonely leader. They have uh, been commiserating recently with uh, an, a fellow manager about how they are feeling uh, excluded from being feeling a personal connection with the rest of the team. So uh, the manager started out as a technician and then uh, still in the beginning of being a manager worked on the floor regularly. So they were still seen as a as a technician by the rest yep. of the team, even though they were the, the manager. And mm -hmm. over the last couple of years, they have moved into a true manager role and are not on the, the floor. Um, and at the same time that that has been happening, they have had some team turnover. And so now uh, the manager's longtime friends have been uh, replaced uh, to a degree with a lot of new coworkers. And so in the past, this manager was always included when people went out for drinks outside of work or went out for dinner after a long day. And now that they are not working on the floor and they are in just a manager role, they're not invited when the team is getting yeah. together outside of uh, work. And so the the question was, can you expect to be friends with your coworkers when you get promoted and become their boss? Um, and how do you deal with feeling lonely as a leader at work? Yeah. 
Uh, oh man! And I thought this uh, was such a great one. This is a great question, and I've gotten this a number of times in a lot of different ways. Yes. Um, and I have strong feelings and thoughts on it, and Good. I'll just say up front there may be a bit controversial um and i understand that so the first thing i will say is uh every every clinic is different and uh we all make different decisions um but uh but i will i will show you some scars and i will tell you some stories and uh and i will tell you why <laughs> i think what i think and why i recommend what i recommend fair i i like it i like it so yeah um there's um I I don't even know how to necessarily break this part in, into headspace and action steps. This is, this is sort of a different. This is a, it's sort of a, it's almost like a philosophy sort of sort sure. of thing. So let me start with some headspace. Okay. And then and then and then we'll sort of do a plan of attack. But this is probably more headspace than actual action steps. Okay. Okay. So let's let's put cards on the table so that people can look at the reality of the situation. Um, and so the first card I'll put down is I'll say, hey, we spend a lot of time at the vet clinic with people. Uh, in fact, we spend a, probably a, more than 40 hours a week, especially as practice managers, practice owners. Uh, you know, we're there a lot. Yes. And we want to have good relationships with our staff. We want them to trust us. We want them to see us as as a friend. You know, we want them to believe in us and to be comfortable around us. We want them to enjoy being at work and us treating them well and making them feel included. That's part of making them feel good at work. Mm -hmm. And when we go to work, we want to work in a happy place we want to work in a place where we feel included you know what i mean where we have some ref, re, uh some relationships and some connections to people and so that's true and we need to put that on the table and look at it and the second thing we have to put on the table and look at is there is a power differential between the managers and the employees and as much as we like to pretend it's not there it is there yes. and the fact that you could give this person a raise or cut them from their job and put them on unemployment um, that's real mm -hmm. and they know it mm -hmm. and you have a hat on your head that says i can fire you mm -hmm. and i know you don't want that hat and if you do want that hat you're probably a jerk and you you should change you should change your that's not yeah that's not a thing you should if do. you want to wear that want, hat you don't want yeah, if you want to wear that hat you should probably not have that hat like someone should someone should liberate you of that hat uh -huh. um but because most of us don't we don't we don't want that it's not how we right. want to be seen but there is some credibility to the idea that that is it's there sure and whether whether you do like it or not that is real um and we, we have we have different jobs and, and and I think that that's just an important thing to put down. And so when we start to say, you know, hey, so, you know, how do can I be friends with these people? I think that's I think that's the first I think that's the first question. Right. How, can I be friends with these people? Do you agree with that? Yes. OK. Uh -huh. So, part of it, as I said, I've gotten I've gotten into hot water with this before. So here we go. Um, as I've learned to say, how do you define friendship? You know, um, I tend to say we should be friendly with the staff and the people who work for us, and we can care very deeply about these people. But it really does come down to to how do you define friendship. If you are someone who says, I define friendship as when you're my friend, I have got your back and I would never let you down. Then what I would say to you is, well, that's kind of a hard spot because what if, you know, you're uh, you're their boss and they send you a text that says, I drank too much last night. I'm coming in today. You know, <laughs> you go, oh, are you their friend now? You know, is the, are you going to be like, hey, yeah, you and me are cool. I won't tell anybody. Or are you going to be like, this is not okay. Um, what if, you know, I'm laughing because I 100% had to go through that scenario early on in my young managing career. You have, you t I actually, that, that's what popped into my head <laughs> because you have a great story of being the young manager and people are like, woo. Steph Todd went were, on last night. They were still drunk and needed to be picked up because they knew they shouldn't drive. And and they called me and said, we know we have to be at work. Can you please come get us and drive us so we can change and then go to work? And that's yeah. like that, that it was a really crappy position because I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go. So I, I drove and I picked him up and I'm evaluating in my head and I'm thinking, 
I they they can't still be drunk, right? Like they just like they made a good they made a good decision. They walked to where they were. They needed a ride. They didn't have a car. Like I'll go pick them up. They got in my car and I could smell the booze coming yeah. off of them. And I was like, you cannot come to work. Like I I can't I can't knowingly do my job if I let I would be a failure at my job if I let you come to work today and had to navigate those waters of having that conversation yeah. and saying go home. Like, I will take you home, take a shower, sleep it off. I will see you tomorrow and we'll have a conversation. And that that is, is, it is hard, 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 hard thing to navigate having those conversations. Yeah. Could could you tell your friend that you're not going to give them the raise that they thought they were going to get? Could Mm -hmm. you sit your friend down and do a performance evaluation yeah, with your friend, and again, a lot of it comes down to how do you define your friends, and and and, and I, I need to make that really clear. It's like I care so deeply about my employees. I mean, really yeah. deeply. But I have to have a personal boundary there too to say, I, do I treat them like friends? Of course I do. Do I care deeply about them? Yeah, I probably I care as much or more about them than I care about my people I do define as friends. You mm-hmm. know, but for whatever reason, for me. In my mind, I have to define my relationship with them differently because I have to balance their needs against Mm -hmm. each other, right? Like, I I don't want to pick favorites. I don't want to have one of my employees is my friend and the other employees are not. Right. Because that puts me in in a hard place, you know, and and it opens me up for for charges of favoritism. And and I go, well, I I don't want people to have those thoughts. And, um, yeah, I I just... uh, there's a lot of downsides to me being seen as you know being one of the buddies or one of the friends and so i uh, again I, I don't i don't like conflict i it's just kind of a thing about me uh i i really i want to balance all the things and that's sort of a personal line for me that i had to sort of step back from and saying i i have not been able to think of the people that i directly lead as my friends and make that work out in my mind where I felt okay about it and it didn't get me into trouble. I um I agree and I disagree with you. So yeah, yeah, you and, it's you hard. and, you yeah, and I are ahead. both in the same camp. I also my style as a manager is that I am friendly with my team, but I generally do not have friends. I, I don't consider my work friends uh in the same way that I would consider friends outside of work, uh, meaning that I, while I might do social things in a group setting at work, like I'm not going to go out to the movies or go to the bar with people that I work with other than like an organized work function. That's just, this is just my personal preference. And sure. I have friends who are managers who are the total polar opposites, who consider uh, some of their uh, team members, their, be- their best friends. I will say this. I I believe um, really and truly that the dynamic always changes. Yes. When you shift from a peer role to a management role, always, without exception, there is always a dynamic shift. I do think that you can stay friends. However, I think that that requires excellent communication skills and Mm -hmm. very strong boundaries generally those are two very difficult things to possess and they are skills that take a lot of practice and so for most people they go through a period transitioning from peer to boss of going through difficult experiences where they learn about the shortcomings of their own or their counterparts, communication skills, boundaries, or both, right? And for a lot of us, it winds up in the place where we are hurt or we have a dissolving of friendships. And so that was me. I I tried and for for quite a few years was, was remained good friends. Um, and I would even say best friends with some of my um, colleagues or my my peers even after I was their manager. And then I went through a period where I had to make decisions and lead things that were not popular and tell them things that they didn't want to hear and have those hard conversations. You're not performing 
the way that I need you to be and have those the disciplinary conversations or the salary conversations or the, hey, I'm I am suspending you. I'm going to drop you at home. I'm glad you called me and I'm glad you didn't drive drunk. And I really do appreciate that. And you're suspended. Stay home for the next three days. And then we're going to have a conversation about this when you come back to work. Like having those hard conversations led me to a place where on a personal level, my choice is I am friendly with my team and I have firm boundaries for myself and I generally don't socialize as social friends with the with the team members that I work with that works for me and I also have respect for friends um, and for people who choose to live that differently and continue to be friends with their team and I will tell you that it does require excellent communication skills and boundaries because the dynamic always changes yeah you know um and there's not there's not a there's not a right or wrong way, although there are definitely ways that expose you to a lot more risk. You know, one of the things I, I heard recently that actually blew my mind is, you know, you and I have, um, I think I think they'd be fine with me sharing names and stuff, but, you know, Jen Galvin and Erica Cartwright are partners that own a practice. And it is, uh, from the outside, it seems to be a great practice. And they are two of my favorite people. And they are in such lockstep. They just, we've I've done it for five years uh, through Uncharted, work, working with them in their practice. And uh, Jen especially has done some some teaching and lecturing with us. She's yeah. so smart and so sharp. I just, I, I can't say enough good things about both of them. And they are so tight and they, they wear... They've come to Uncharted uh, dressed as the, the, the Dumb and Dumber uh, blue and orange tuxedos, if anybody remembers those. They were the, I, I love them so much. And I was talking, so we had our first ever practice owner summit in December, which was just practice owners. Mm-hmm. And uh, and those guys were there. And we were sitting and talking and everything. And they mentioned that they don't hang out outside of work. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what? You guys don't hang out? And they were like, no, it's just we've decided it's better for us if yeah. I, you know, I we we love each other at work. We hang out with each other. We are lockstep. We work hard. And then we've been able to be such good partners because we go home. Yep. And and don't and don't interact. We put we put our stuff aside uh, and sort of give each other a break from each other. And I, yeah. I thought I thought that there was a lot of wisdom in that. And they do stuff. They do stuff together as a team like they they, yes. you know, their team socially interacts and engages regularly. They take their team um, on trips like they do stuff together and they have that sacred space of we're going to go home and we're going to like we're, you know, the, and they they do do things together yeah um and and have some social aspects to their relationship and they have really great communication of like i'm gonna go home and i'm not gonna talk to you for the next three days unless the world is truly on fire because i need a break from you you know and i and i i respect those healthy boundaries so so much well even even not getting to the point where it's like i need a break from you it's if I don't take these breaks, then I will get to a place right. where I need a break from you. Right. And if I do take these breaks, I will show up excited to see you. Right. You know, and and work and work together. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, it's funny. I, I think, I think you put your finger on one, which is the guaranteed shift you're going to see when you go from working at, with peers to managing peers. Yeah. I agree with that. I think that there's also a shift that happens for sure with practice size. I think that when you're running the one to three vet practice and you've got 20 employees or less, you can probably kind of be friends with everybody, you know what I mean? And and it seems a whole lot easier. But once you cross that threshold of about probably 20 employees, um, there's going to be people that your personality doesn't match up with or, you know, or you're going to have enough people who are vying for opportunities and things that there start to be some um, politics involved and friendship and politics, uh, friendship across a power dynamic and politics, those things together. I I think that make it exponentially harder. I think I think you see this. um, I see. I think you see this a lot less in the bigger practices and again i can't i can't prove that i don't have research to back that up but that has been my experiences when you have a small practice everybody works together communicates huddles together you know you you tend to build and maintain those relationships and then as the practice grows it gets a bit harder uh, favoritism becomes something that people sort of look look for a little bit more um and just it, it makes a difference the, the other big thing for me is um and again you and i talk we talk so much about sort of our management philosophies and we talk a lot about picking your poison. Mm -hmm. We talk a lot about management and leadership being the ability and, and, 
and the constitution, the fortitude to make hard decisions. Mm -hmm. And there's often you're making choices that don't have a great answer. You're choosing between two unfavorable options. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, you just, you just are. And that's, and that's, I think that's probably why the uncharted community kind of comes together and why, why the people in the spot, uh, the listeners on the podcast sort of come together. It feels good to know that you're not the only one who's making hard decisions and making these choices. And it is, it's hard for me in relationship management to make unpopular choices and have the people affected by those choices um, be, uh, I don't know, I, to feel like I have the responsibility of friendship to those people. Mm-hmm. I can care very much about them and still make the unpopular decision or the hard call and say, I know, mm-hmm. I know you're not going to like this decision, but I'm going to make it. And I think in your mind, the way you think about your relationship with the people that you lead, I think it's, it's very, I think it's very important. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, I, I try to avoid military metaphors or things, but you know, I have a friend who went to officer training school. He's in uh, the Marine Corps and went to Afghanistan and, uh, and we were talked about it, you know, in, in officer training school, they don't hang out with the troops Endless and they don't they don't eat with the troops they yep. eat with the other officers and yep. the reason is because hey you know at some point things might go badly and i'm going to have to make hard choices yeah and i don't want to be connected uh, as a friend and and that doesn't mean that they don't care about their about their people uh, the opposite is true yeah but i don't want to push it that far in vet medicine but i do think to me knowing that i don't like making unpopular decisions yeah there is some level of that too of i don't want to be so tightly in, intertwined with people that my choices affect their life. So for example, your, your best friend's a technician and he makes $17 an hour and you have the ability to give him a $1.50 an hour raise. That's a significant thing in his life and you have that power. And if you're his friend, then it seems obvious that you're going to say yes. But that's right. not how this works because that means someone else doesn't get that raise. And you know we need to look at at wh- what are the, what is our system for deciding these things. So anyway, yeah. there's all these strings, and and I hope that makes sense when I say you know the the fact that we have if we never had to make unpopular decisions, if we never had to 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 pick priorities over other priorities, I think it would be a whole lot easier. But the yeah. truth is, ultimately, especially as you go down the road and you grow a business, you have to make those calls. And I think, I think you can have very healthy relationships with people that you care a lot about. But just the way that you categorize those in your mind, that, that's a, that's important. Um, there's there's two other things that I think are are really important. I agree with you 100 percent because you are we're going to make decisions that are not popular. And I love that you. I honestly love that you brought up the the military reference because it's true when we when you are a leader you have to evaluate people situations performance uh, sometimes really quickly or under pressure and equality matters you cannot have an environment it does not go well for anybody when there is an environment where equality doesn't matter in the workplace and where you know favorites are played and there is that internal uh, they are biased. They like this person better than me. This this person got a dollar fifty an hour raise, and there's no transparency as to why. Right, like that never works out well for anybody. And so I I think that there is um a significant value in in that um reference that you gave, and I and I love it. The other thing that I want to say is, look, it's totally normal to feel rejected. It mm-hmm. sucks. Like when you're yeah. used to being included and you're used to being part of the party and you're used to everybody saying, hey, you know, we're not going to leave without Stephanie. Like, let's help you get your work done so we can all go have drinks at the bar. The first time, the first 10 times that you're in your office and you come out and all the lights are off and you you walk outside. This was me. We literally had um, a, a Mexican food place right across the street from one of my practices and the whole front of the building was glass and I came outside and a clinic was totally dark and I walked outside and I could see everybody sitting together at a table having drinks and dinner and I felt so I felt so left out and so rejected and so I just I I want to normalize that for you guys because it sucks it sucks the first time it sucks the 10th time and everywhere in between right like that is that is normal it's gonna feel crappy and it's okay to feel sad about that or any other emotions that you might feel angry sad like they're all valid emotions and so again this is where I'm gonna be be vulnerable and say one of the best things for helping me succeed at making that transition and continuing to grow in 
feeling good about the choices that I have made as a as a leader and as a boss is going to therapy. And so I took my ass to the therapist and talked through those emotions and said, you know, I this is that really hurt. Like, I did not want to go back to work the next day and face them because I felt so I was sad, but I was also angry. Like, I I was like, really? You guys left me out? Like, this really sucks. Um, And so being able to work through that is really important. And so I just, I have to normalize that for a hot second. Um, The the other thing I think that I see um, from a headspace perspective that's really, really important to consider, and this can be a soapbox for us. And so I, I think we have to be careful here from a time perspective. But one of the things that has shifted dramatically now is that, Social media and smartphones have connected us in a way unlike anything we have seen before. And when I started managing almost 20 years ago, um, that wasn't a that wasn't a thing like Facebook. I was connected with my my university friends on Facebook. I didn't know anybody else on Facebook. That was what we used it for. I didn't know what the rest of my team was doing outside of yeah. work unless I called them on their phone at home. And if yep. they weren't in their house, I didn't talk to them. Like I could page them and maybe they would call me back. Like I'm totally dating myself here. But like the reality was, unless we were actually physically in the same space, I didn't know what was happening. And one of the things that I see a lot of managers struggle with now is we are so connected and a lot of us are connected by our by our phones, by social media, by text messages. And it is really easy for two things to happen. One, it's really easy for you to feel more left out because you're seeing and hearing things that are happening that you wouldn't have seen or necessarily heard about otherwise, right? Um, and you also are knowing yeah, more what... about about what is happening in your team's personal lives in a way that you didn't necessarily before. I mean, let's be real. The OR has always been a, a confessional room and there's always been dirty secrets shared in surgery. But the reality was it kind of was like those were where you had the deep conversations and then you didn't hear about all of that drama as much as, hey, look, I just opened Facebook and oh, hey, Sarah called out sick today, but look, here she is sitting on a beach with a drink in her hand. Like, what the hell? Right. Like we have access to that kind of information that has that alone has dramatically shifted the dynamics of people being friends with their boss. And that's a that's a position I've been in where I've been friends with somebody and or friendly with somebody and have been connected with them on social media. And I find out things that I didn't need to know. And it's connecting us in ways um, that we never had before and in a time frame that we never had before. Like there's 24 seven access to each other. Yeah. Um, and it never was that way when you had to be in the same physically in the same building for those connections to happen. And so I think it's important to, to have that conversation about what we are facing now as managers going through that shift is radically different than oh, yeah. what it was like when when I first started. And that's that's a hard place to be. And so I think it's really important to normalize that as well. Like that's the the devil in your pocket comes from that connection, right? On social media, because you will find out things that you didn't necessarily want to know. Um, yeah. And so that is, it can be a good thing. And it also can really add to complicating factors in the in the relationship. So I think it's important to look at that. Yeah. I know I I I, compl- I completely agree with that. Um yeah, I, I I completely agree. The uh the to be honest, the last couple of years uh social media connections with, you know, people at the clinic staff and things, I learn more about people's politics than I want to know. Yep. And I learn more about uh their in, their entertainment taste that uh-huh. I want to know and lots of other things that I go, I did not need to know this. There's also, you know, you and I have talked before about hiring and things and um, there is a right to privacy. Yes. Um, I think this is, it doesn't matter what I think. What I think and what is the law are not the same. Um, I think if people put things out into the world uh, for public display, then, then employers should be able to look at them because they were put out into the world of free volition for public display. But that is not what the law generally says. Look at you getting your gold star today. I know. <laughs> your like, HR gold star. That's not the rule. And no one asked me what the rule was. Oh. And my magic wand doesn't work. And so... Um, 
it's you go surely there's no downside to me even looking at this and i go i I have to tell you there actually is and it's just anyway we'll talk about this when we talk about some action steps yeah but honestly uh social media is something to consider especially if you're having these feelings of loneliness is is this connection helping you um and we'll we'll circle back that but before we take a break i I just wanted to share a story sort of similar to to yours The, the story that i remember um was sort of similar to yours going out and, and everybody's across the street at the Mexican restaurant. I remember, um, I wasn't even, I, I wasn't even the boss. I, I was an associate vet, but my, I was starting to travel and speak more and do more stuff. And I had cut my hours down at the clinic to, to part time. And so mm-hmm. I was working at the clinic like two days a week, um, maybe two and a half days a week. That's what it was like two days and every other Saturday, something like that. And I'll never forget the first time that I, I'd come in to get something at the practice and there was a doctor's meeting going on and they were just getting started and they kind of looked at me and I wasn't there for the doctor's meeting, I was there for something else. And they kind of looked at me and then they closed the door <gasps> and I was on the outside of the door. Ouch. And I remember, yeah, and I just remember, it wasn't that it, it, wasn't that it hurt, it hurt in a, in a, um, I don't know. And so a point, it was poignant. It was deeply poignant. Sure. It was deeply poignant because I was now out of the inner circle because of my, you know, frequency being at the practice. Sure. And so I, but I just want to tie that back to what you were sort of saying and say, you know, um, impermanence is, is part of our life, right? Is the only constant is impermanence. And, and, and for when we come back and talk about action steps, the, the idea that you are now in a different place and your world is different than it was before can cause an existential crisis, you know? Yes. And I think a lot of us have that moment of the door closing, yeah. of seeing our friends across the street, and it dawns on us that we're not the person that we were before. Yeah. Whether, even if we feel the same way, but let's, let's be honest about our lives, right? We, most of us feel the same way we did when we were 14 or, right. you know, when we were in college, we feel, but people don't see us the same way and we're not the same way. But, you know, everyone kept waiting for some magical event where they're like, now I'm a grown up. And they right. were like, shocked it never came. <laughs> so you see these external things that give you clear signs like, oh, the past is past and the page has turned. And you're in a new chapter, and a lot of times you're like, I don't know what this chapter is. And that, and it feels like history has kind of been cut off or taken away from us. And so, anyway, that, that's, I just wanted to validate that so, and, and sort of say, yeah, I think a lot of us have that moment where we realize that things are not, we're not in Kansas not anymore, right? Yeah. Things are not the same as they used to be. Yeah. I love that. I think this is a good spot. Should we take a break and then come back and talk about some action stuff? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Hey, Stephanie Goss, you got a second to talk about Guardian Vets? Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Man, I uh, I hear from people all the time that are overwhelmed because the phones never stop ringing. Um, yes. And I'm sure you, you hear from these people as well. You know, like our caseload is blowing up and the doctors are busy and uh, the phones just don't stop. They never stop. <laughs> <laughs> that is a true story. I'm amazed by how uh, how few veterinarians know about Guardian Vets. This is a service where you have uh, registered technicians uh, who can jump in virtually and help you on the phones. You can flip the switch and uh, Guardian Vets can jump in and take some of the load off the front desk and they can handle your clients and get them booked for your appointments and give them support. And it really is a godsend. Pre-pandemic, it was amazing to me how many people hadn't heard about it for after hours call help. But at this point, I can't believe how many people don't realize that they are offering help during the daytime as well, which I would think right now is a huge benefit to practices because everybody is shorthanded. Everybody is drowning in phone calls. And so we talk about it. We've talked about Guardian Vets a lot on the podcast. And every time we do, we always get somebody who says, what is that? <laughs> Guys, if you're not familiar with Guardian Vets, if you think that you could use some help on the uh, on the phones or up the front desk, check them out. It's guardianvets.com. And uh, if you mention our podcast, me and Stephanie Goss, uh, you get a month free. So check it out, guardianvets.com. 
Okay, okay, okay. It's time for me to break in here and make sure that you know about an upcoming event that you are not going to miss. Mark it on your calendar, Saturday, May 21st from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, which is 11 to 1 p.m. Pacific. We have got a workshop from Uncharted founding member and our friend, Dr. Tracy Sands. It is retaining your team, speaking languages of appreciation in your workplace. You know that feeling when you have done something that you thought was really nice for somebody on your team, giving them an extra weekend off, a holiday bonus, a pizza party, done a coffee run, and yet you're hearing rumors that people were not excited about it, and certainly not your level of excited about it. Have you ever wondered how those people could not feel appreciated by what you're doing for them? You're not alone, and that's where this workshop comes in. The truth is there's no single strategy to make your team feel appreciated and engaged as a whole. Every person has their own appreciation language, and a lot of them, especially in veterinary medicine, have nothing to do with gifts or food. So Trace is going to teach about the languages of appreciation and help you unlock figuring out how to motivate, train, and retain your team. It's a two-hour workshop. It is live and interactive. You are going to really enjoy this. You can get on board. It's $99 for members of the public. So if you're not an Uncharted member, you can still attend. If you are an Uncharted member, it's free, but you do have to register. So head on over to unchartedvet.com forward slash events, and you can find the registration information. Again, it's Saturday, May 21st from 2 to 4 p.m. Eastern, 11 to 1 p.m. Pacific. You're not going to want to miss this one. Before, real quick, before we get back to the podcast, I just have to say a few thank yous. First of all, I have to give our friends at Banfield Pet Hospital a huge shout out of appreciation. They stepped up to the plate this year for Andy and I, and really the veterinary community as a whole in a big way. They are helping us make our podcast more accessible to the entire veterinary community. They're helping us provide transcripts for every episode of both the Uncharted Veterinary Podcast and the Cone of Shame Podcast for the entire year. It falls right in Banfield's wheelhouse of striving to increase accessibility and inclusivity across the veterinary profession. If you know someone who would like to access the podcast and hasn't been able to because we previously didn't have transcripts, send them to unchartedvet.com forward slash blog. And if you would love to check out more information about equity, inclusion, and diversity at Banfield, you can head on over to the blog too. You'll find every episode transcript along with more information about EIND at Banfield. And lastly, I want to say this is certainly not a last but not least moment. I want to say thank you, a huge, huge thank you to our Anchor Gang sponsors. We are heading to Greenville, South Carolina in just a few short weeks, and we are having our live April conference. We would not be able to do our live Uncharted events without the support of our sponsors. And we have some amazing Anchor Gang sponsors this year, and they deserve a special shout out. So to our friends at Care Credit, at Hills Pet Nutrition, and Nationwide. On behalf of the entire Uncharted community, I say thank you. We couldn't do it without you. And I am so looking forward to spending time with all of you in Greenville. And now let's get back to the podcast. All right. So let's start to, uh, let's start to unpack some action steps. The original question we got was, how am I supposed to feel and what am I supposed to do when everyone goes out for a drink and I don't get invited and I feel I feel like I'm on the outside? Yes. So yeah, do you want to go ahead and start uh, what we what steps we're going to take? Yeah, totally. So um, I think for, for I this is very much coming from my own experience. Obviously, it's, it's colored by that because I went through feeling like it's very lonely as the mm-hmm. boss, and so um, you know when I th- sat down and started to think about how do I attach this. I, I think the attack for me starts with acknowledging the dynamic shift, regardless yeah. of whether you are going to try and stay friends with your peers or not. Acknowledging the shift that has occurred is really, really, really important. You know, Pu- it, it, publicly <laughs> acknowledging or just for you? Um, I think I think both because and the reason that I say both is because I think you have to acknowledge it for yourself right first first and foremost knowing knowing where <laughs> how you feel about it and just saying I am the bo-. like I remember going through this period of like I it was disbelief like I, I don't feel like the boss I still feel like the same person I was yesterday and like you really like that took some mental work for me to realize oh wait I am in charge like I am the <laughs> responsible grown-up in the room now and that is a shift that really takes some mental energy to, <laughs> to work through yeah and- no I'm still shocked by that when I'm like who's, who's in charge here <laughs> oh 
Wait, oh, it's, it's me. me. Right. <laughs> it's totally oh, true. And, and I think if you do want to stay friends with your peers, I think it is equally, if not more important, to acknowledge the dynamics shift out loud to each other and have a conversation about, hey, look, this is a thing that actually has happened. And here's the impact that I can see. How do you feel about this? What are you seeing? How can we work this out? Because I said in the beginning, the only way that you can stay friends is if you have really strong communication skills and really strong boundaries. And so for me, it starts with acknowledging the dynamic shift for yourself, but also acknowledging it with the people that you are um, that you are concerned about staying friends with or worrying about losing those friendships. Well, so, okay, you're gonna have to walk me through the second part here. So I imagine <laughs> now that I have risen above you all, I would like to point out that I am the boss and I have the ability to fire you at my leisure. <laughs> Let's go around the circle and you can all say what you think of me. Oh, God. Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. I 100% agree with the personal identity. I help. Are you help me, I'm, I'm asking you honestly. Help me. Okay. Help me understand. What does that look like when you're like, all right, just so you all know, I'm, I'm the boss. No. So, so for me, what that looked like was, hey, I'm feeling, a, I'm feeling a lot of anxiety about this. Like, I, I am recognizing that we are really good friends, and mm-hmm. to this point, we have we have approached the bosses and management together as a united team. And now I'm in a position where I I value your opinion and I respect it. And I still have to learn how to work to manage together yeah. with our practice owner or the leadership team or whatever that structure looks like in the practice. I am worried that there may be conflict of interest. I am worried that you might tell me things that I feel duty bound to share. I am worried about whatever those, and for me, like there was, there was a whole list of things that came top of mind of like, this is what I'm feeling anxiety about. And so it was just saying it out loud, uh, you know, and I'll I'll just say, you know, sitting down with Sarah and having a conversation, Hey Sarah, like this is, this is stressing me out. And I, like, I just need to talk through this with you because I, I respect you and I respect our relationship and our friendship means so much to me and I want to keep our friendship. I need to talk through this. And so it wasn't like a big, it wasn't a, I'm going to sit on my throne and everybody appreciate me because I'm now the boss. It was very much like, hey, we have a friendship. We, this is a normal conversation. If I was worried or stressed about something, this is the person that I would talk to about that. So it didn't feel weird or, or at all for me to say, hey, like, I'm really stressing about this. Can we talk about this for a second? Because yeah. I don't want to lose our friendship. Yeah, no, that I, I, I like that a lot. That that totally makes sense just to have that kind of conversation and just be like, hey, let's let's talk about how, you know, what our relationship is now. I, I think that I think that's interesting. I have to sit with that because um, there's going to be I, I, there's going to be things that you can't tell them that they're going to ask you about. And you're going to have to say, I can't talk about this. Like yeah. that is a weird dynamic shift. And if you don't acknowledge that let me tell you that's like a hard conversation when all of a sudden you know information and they're pumping you for it and you're like i can't talk about it yeah it's you a know? whole lot easier to have that conversation when there's not a piece of right. information that they're looking for no that okay i think you sold me on that i think that makes sense. <laughs> i think i think the bigger thing yes i i think you sold me on that generally generally having c- communications about awkward things is definitely the right yes. way to go so it's not a hard sell but i, I have to get my head around what, what that looks like <laughs> i'll tell you the, the bigger part for me was self-identity part yes. right that was really it yeah. and so i i think that i think that the logical progression for most of us is you have the moment when you come out of your office and the lights are all off and everyone has left. You have the moments when you leave the clinic and uh, the team is across the street at the Mexican place and they didn't invite you. You have the moments when the door closes, yeah. you know, as the as the staff is having a, 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 a talk a amongst themselves. Yeah. You, you walk in and people stop talking and yes. you realize yes. it's because you're there. Yes. Um, and you, you have those moments. And I think that that Sins, I think that hits a lot of us hard when we when we find our moment. We have that. And I think the step after that is is that we we get thrown in this existential crisis because we're like, who am I if mm-hmm. I'm not one of the gang? Who am I? Right. And what does this mean for me? 
And um, and I think for a lot of us, I, I talk I talk to a lot of I talk. You and I have done a lot of work with corporate groups recently, which has been super awesome. I love building communities inside of of groups of practices and, mm-hmm. and getting people to work together. And so that's been super great. One of the things that I've seen uh, in in these groups is there'll be doctors, and the doctors will move up uh, to be. Uh, to be leadership over a division or over multiple hospitals, and they're not—they're not in practice as much, and they will a hundred percent have that existential crisis of mm-hmm. who am I if I'm not seeing appointments? You know, yes. if I'm not a doctor in the exam rooms, what does that mean for me? And so, so th- this this same identity crisis manifests a couple different ways. The biggest thing—the thing I say to them, because the thing that I had to go through uh, when I sort of looked at my weird career and sort of think is like, I'm, am I a real vet? Am I still a vet if I'm seeing appointments one day a week or two days a week, or if sure. I don't see appointments for a month because I'm traveling continuously and then come back, you know, like, what does that mean? Um, I think most of us have to stop and we have to accept that we are in a different place, mm-hmm. that our life has changed. Yes. And the only way that you can do that, I think where people really screw themselves up is they tie their identity yep. to their previous role. They say, I I am a CVT. I am a technician. I am. Uh, I am a real doctor. That's what I am. And they and they define themselves that way. So then, when they look around and they are not seen as a CVT, they still have that that degree. They still have that, that credentialing. But they're not on the floor and they're not drawing blood and no one cares about their clinical skills because they're not using them. Yes. They're they're thrown for this loop. And so what has to happen after that is you have to be able to step away, in my opinion, and you have to say to yourself, I am who I am yes. and I am a credentialed technician. I didn't say that I do blood draws. I didn't say that I did these things. I am the manager of this practice. I am the owner of this practice. I am a business owner. And I also practice veterinary medicine as opposed to I am a real veterinarian and I don't have time to practice because I'm too busy running this business. You know, and I think that that latter, that's really tortures people. And so I know I, I I don't I hope I'm being clear enough about this, but I think you have to accept that your position is different, and then you have to look at how you identify yourself. Because if you identify as one of the gang, one of the cool kids, one of the people on the inside, and then this thing changes, and your friends, uh, your your friends uh, from before indicate to you that maybe you're not on the inside anymore. Yeah, that's fine if you also agree that you're not on the inside because you're doing something else that you're excited about. It's not fine if you don't identify as someone who's not on the inside because now you're in conflict. It's called incongruence, right? Is it was when we look in the mirror and we see ourselves and we see who we want to be, and then we look at our actual self. And when those two things don't match up in our minds, that causes us pain. So mm-hmm. the, the psychological term is called incongruence. And so I think a lot of us, the pain that we feel of realizing we're on the outside is actually incongruence because we're we so see ourselves as being connected to the people that we worked with on the inner circle. And now we look around and we are clearly, as I see them at the Mexican restaurant, well, I'm clearly not in the inner circle. Yeah. And that's incongruence in what I see myself being and what uh, the evidence is showing me that I am. Yeah. And so you have got to step back and reset your your mental expectations and your identity. Yeah. I think um, the other, the last piece of, of acceptance and like mental gymnastics is I think that you have to make peace with what it means to be the boss because mm-hmm. you will be the bad guy. Yep. And people Sometimes. will not like you at at times. At times. And that is really hard for especially like I am a people pleaser. I want people yep. to like me. I want to be included. And there is, you know, <laughs> there's no one I think ever in the history of leadership who didn't piss somebody off or make somebody upset or make somebody mad. Like the reality is at at times you will you will not be liked yep you will not be uh everybody will not be happy with you you will have had to be the bad guy um and so it is really important ideally before you step into that role (laughs) to make peace with that and if you are already in that role you have to make peace with that or you have to uh, get to a place where you're like, hey, I can't make peace with this. I am maybe going to go back to just being a part of the team because that matters yeah. more to me. And that's that's an OK choice, too. But if you are going to continue to be a leader, um, it is lonely at the top and you have to make peace with the fact that it, you are not going to be the popular kid 100 percent of the time. 
and people will not like you. Um, and if you can't get okay with that, uh, you are probably not going to be happy in the long term in a in a leadership role. Yeah, I I I agree with that. I think you have to you have, definitely have to accept that role. I the the last part I would leave on acceptance. So this is my my last button on the acceptance part is. Um, I think when you and I talk about it, we talk about you're you're in or you're out, you know. And the truth is, I haven't found that necessarily to be true. And so, if people are going, why would anyone ever want to? Why would anyone ever want to lead when people aren't going to like you and you're going to get excluded? And you know, I, as the Buddhists say, the middle path is generally the right one. And I I have never been in a place where I go, oh, now I'm leading this team. I am now alone. I uh, you know, like suddenly I'm Batman. I work alone. I'm I'm <laughs> I am human resource vengeance. Like that's not how this works. Um I I I have to make peace with the idea that I'm not gonna get invited to the social gatherings. Yeah. Um but instead when I go to the Mexican restaurant and I see my text there. I'm going to buy them a round of beers. You right. know what I mean? Or I'm going to send a, a couple of desserts over to the table to show them that I appreciate them. You know what I mean? And to celebrate them. And I'll, I'll probably go and say hi. Um, if I am invited to come and hang out, I generally go and I pick up the first round of drinks, you know, and, and it's sort of a nice thing that I do. And then I leave. Right. Because I do not want to be there when people start getting sloppy. I, you know, like what they do is up to them. I don't want to be there to see it. And so it's not... It's not like you're taking a vow of um, of isolation and and you know and uh, and yeah, it's, you're not going into the monastery to not see people anymore. You know, it's yeah. like no, you still be you can still generally be a part of what's going on. Uh, oftentimes, there's also this weird, awkward transition of like my role has changed and people aren't sure what to make of me, yeah. and so they step back and go, "What's his, what's he going to be like?" in this role and ultimately they're going to realize that oh he's still a nice guy um he's still trying to do his best he's still going to try to look out for us do everything he can you know to support us uh, in 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 our, in our mission and and things kind of sort themselves out pretty pretty well from there so anyway i, I feel like I, I don't want people to be like oh they're they're acting like you just go lone wolf uh, and leave. Like, no, you're still going to be involved in most yeah. things. You just have to realize that you know you're not going to be you're not going to be right in the in the middle of the drama, and you don't want to be. But you're also not going to be cold and shunning and and not involved in these people's lives. You still want to know them. You still want to earn their trust. Yes. I feel very fulfilled from the relationships that I have with my team or I wouldn't do this job. Like the c connection to them, knowing about when they get get married or have babies or somebody's spouse gets a promotion or somebody's kid takes their first steps. Like I still celebrate in all of those things with my team and I'm perfectly okay having boundaries yeah. like i don't want to know what's happening in their sex life i don't want to know about their boyfriend spending yesterday in jail because they got in a drunken fight at the bar like yep. that, i'm perfectly okay with there being some boundaries there and i can still feel very fulfilled and um connected to to them and that and that's the way that i choose to walk and like i said i have friends who are like some of my my peers when I was a technician and now I'm a manager, some of my peers as technicians are still my best friends. And I'm, I think that's, that's fantastic. I think ultimately like you have to decide and you do, this is very much where you do you, like there is no right or wrong answer. I don't think, I think it's very much individual. Um, and I think that your point is so, so true. Like you're not going to go lone wolf and be Batman and nobody knows who you really are. There are people who choose that. And if that works for you, more power to you. I, I think on a personal level, you and I are not that. <laughs> That's, yeah, no. You know, we, we approach more of the middle ground. And I, I am fulfilled by that. And I am I'm, I really do enjoy that piece. But it doesn't mean that I have to want to invite them over to my house for Thanksgiving dinner. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, agree, I completely agree. So tagging on to that, you know, I would say, and Pete, this is very controversial and people, some people will react strongly, but uh, consider unfollowing 
uh, your your direct reports. I mean, consider, you know, like uh, once you move into this role, and I say that for two reasons. Number one is you probably don't want to necessarily know what's going on at home and just that knowledge can cause problems um the the other part is if it causes you pain because you see yourself not being included in the social things that are going on um you don't you don't deserve that and so my advice to you is to say hey it's going to be what's going to be it's not about you um if if it bothers you don't expose yourself to that just you unfollow those people uh you can always turn them back on if you want to later on but my advice is is just separate yourself and um and if you're going to do that again i am a very extroverted person i get really lonely i sometimes wonder i was like if my if if uh if i was if i wasn't married how would i live i was like i'd have i'd have roommates (laughs) i'd be 45 year old with roommates for sure because that's that's just how i am like yeah i'm a people person and so i am not saying go be lonely i'm saying take the bull by the horns and go make go make some friends yep right we talk yep we talk about third space here first space is your home second space is your work if your whole life is going from work to home and home to work and work to home and home to work i worry about you and i worry about your mental health and i worry about burnout you are going to be healthier and happier and more uh connected and more grounded if you have a place to go that is not the vet clinic and is not your home it is a place where you go and interact with other people and my advice ideally these people don't know that you're a vet they don't know that you work with animals and and or they don't care yep and like go and don't be andy rourke veterinarian go and be andy rourke uh blossoming potter (laughs) go go blossoming painter i was waiting for the garden reference yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's like um, the garden club the gar- <laughs> blossoming garden club secretary, uh, wh- whatever it is, um, that's what I'd be. But no, I mean, I yeah. do. I, mean, I do. I have a ridiculous hobby. I do improv comedy, and no one cares that I'm uh, that I am a vet. And I I go to I like practice one night a week, and we play in a bar slash coffee shop one night a week. And I love those guys, and I have a rich social life through that outlet. My wife does curling, where she slides the rocks and sweeps, and I I've done seasons of that in the past, and those guys are those guys are fun. Um, and it's just I find weird stuff like that to do and jump into, and I make new friends, and I do that because I need to be a person outside of the vet clinic, and uh, and that's yeah, that's my advice is. It is not uncommon to have your whole social life and everything wrapped up with the people that you work in. And at some point you look around and you go, mm, that's not a viable strategy anymore. Yeah. And uh, and I need to find some things that are not tied, especially when you're a leader. The best thing is to be around other leaders. Um, yes. You know, plug for Uncharted uh, Practice Owner <laughs> Conference or, or uh, Uncharted Membership. The Practice but, Managers Group. Yeah, no, I, yeah, that would that yeah. would be me. That would be, it's not a third space. It, it very much goes to the second space. But I think yeah. um, the last big thing for me is there is a lot of uh, danger in discussing ch- the challenges of the job because being a leader is very challenging and it yeah. can be very easy to want to vent to your peers, right? That And, and it's a different when the dynamic is different venting is is a recipe for disaster when you're doing it with people who now are um are subordinate to you and you are their boss um so for me the the hard and fast rule for myself was i i had to put up some boundaries about talking about work things with my friends because i was trying to preserve those friendships and stay friends with them and so the best thing that i ever did for myself was finding uh connections with other managers and Mm -hmm. or a coach or a mentor someone especially if you're new to a leadership and a management role finding someone disconnected from your practice is a game changer and so for me that started with a local managers group and connecting with other managers locally who they weren't the practice right down the street but we had enough in common geographically we could talk about things bounce ideas off of each other and and my love for networking connection very much um grew from there and i you know i joined bhma the veterinary hospital managers association i joined uh, eventually led me to joining uncharted you know being able to connect and uncharted 
does that, I feel like, so, so well. Um, and it's not just a shameless plug because you have the ability to connect yeah. and really transition from that space of I am frustrated by this and I just need to vent into he here appears who get it. And I can yeah. say, I really hurt. I'm really hurt right now. Like I, I did this nice thing for my team and nobody said thank you. And I feel I'm really upset about it. And how do I make this better in the future? Right. And yeah. and be able to and be able to ask for help because they've been people have been there. And that is the first thing that often happens is everybody's like, dude, I've been there. It sucks. Like, be okay. <laughs> yeah. Go get yourself a Starbucks because today is a crappy day. And <laughs> we're gonna, we're gonna like like let's figure out how to approach this better in the future. So making those connections outside of work, I feel like is is so important. It is a game changer. Yeah, I agree. Well, thanks for talking this through with me. Yeah, this was a this was a good one. I hope uh, I hope that it helped our uh, lonely leader <laughs> listener and uh, and maybe some of the rest of you guys. If you enjoy this and you have enjoyed nerding out on this kind of thing, as Annie and I both mentioned, this is the kind of thing that we talk about all the time in Uncharted. And you can come join us and hang out you and can. be part of these conversations as a member of our community. You could totally come join us if you feel like your team is circled up and I'm on the outside. I'm looking in. All right. That's it. I, I, this needs to be over. I... Oh, that's where we need somebody to yank us off the stage. That's it. <laughs> Have Dustin, a great week, everybody. Dustin, play us out. I keep forgetting. Not in love anymore. That was fantastic. <laughs> Well, gang, that's a wrap on another episode of the podcast. And as always, this was so fun to dive into the mailbag and answer this question. And I would really love to see more things like this come through the mailbag. If there is something that you would love to have us talk about on the podcast or a question that you are hoping that we might be able to help with, feel free to reach out and send us a message. You can always find the mailbag at the website. The address is unchartedvet.com forward slash mailbag, or you can email us at podcast at unchartedvet.com. Take care, everybody, and have a great week. We'll see you again next time.